Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a Friday edition of the call up and we've got a mailbag. It's been a while. I'm RM Layton. He's Jack McMullen. We haven't done a mailbag in a little bit. And I think the last time I did one, Jack, it was without you for whatever reason. So join forces here. We're answering some questions. A lot of great ones on Twitter. We have all the questions listed below uh, and and probably time stamped on the YouTube as well. But tried to pick a wide range of questions. There was a a repetition of Moises Gomez questions. And I don't think we're going to answer either of them. Maybe, maybe in passing at the end, (laughs) I just thought that was funny that Moises Gomez came up uh, multiple times in our replies. Uh, But a lot of good questions, Jack, Uh, we are kind of ranging all over. So I'm excited to break it down. Yeah. I'm not sure why you invited me to this one. Cause we, I, I'm probably just going to disagree with you for the sake of disagreeing with you uh, on these. So uh, Ellie De La Cruz, for sure, the highest floor that we've got in minor league baseball right now. <laughs> Lowest ceiling as well. So, he, yeah. you know, he, he's more of a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy, which is actually one of the questions that we're going to get to. Um, and, and, and that's probably one of the more like layered complex ones, uh, but a little bit of everything. And again, a reminder, if you missed the last episode, we talked to Dax Fulton, of the Miami Marlins. That was a lot of fun. Also did a live breakdown on our YouTube. Go check that out. And he really broke down the whole arsenal and all that good stuff. It was a ton of fun. That's a guy to look out for uh, on the top 100 list, potentially when we update it. I think he's got a really strong case there. And I think he's going to be on every top 100 list by midseason. There was no question there, but there were some questions in regards to guys who could enter the top 100 list and stuff like that. But Jack, let's start with let's start with the more layered question here, which I thought was one that was really tough and kind of has the most I guess room for nuance because I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong answer and I don't think there's a way that you and I are going to completely line up uh, exactly the same on this. So the question comes from Sumi on Twitter S U M I not Sumi as in, you know, come after me in litigation, but yeah. I, I love S U M I Sumi always great questions, always great interaction on Twitter. Rank these perspective or rank these prospects, respective ceilings and floors. Excuse me. Jordan Lawler, Ellie De La Cruz, Jackson Chorio, Jordan Walker, Brett Beatty, Miguel Vargas. So that's a crazy assortment. I love that is the nuttiest assortment ever because and that's what I'll start with here. Right. We're talking about Jackson Chorio, who's 18 and, and, you know, we haven't seen that much, but his profile is higher floor. Um, and then you have like an Ellie Dua Cruz, who's clearly one of the high ceiling guys uh, that we've seen in, in a very, very long time. But I also struggle with Ellie Dua Cruz's floor because what well, he's such a freak that even if he doesn't hit enough, I feel like this guy, like even a 20 hit tool, Ellie Dua Cruz finds a way to like be a big leaguer. So it's right. really hard to conceptualize his floor. So I almost want to start with with the ceilings, like separate it. And then we can try to do the floor. I think floors are way harder in the prospect world because at the end of the day, there's very few prospects that are high floor. And when they are high floor, I make that very clear. And I make, and those are guys that like I'll really, really hammer like a Kyle Manzardo who we're going to get to in a similar question like that guy. First base safest offensive profile you're going to find that's high floor. Um, but a lot of other prospects in the top 100 were, were tantalized by the upside and, and few of them are quote unquote high floor. So we'll, we'll try that in the second half of this question, but let's start with the ceilings, Jack. How do you want to do this? You want to go like in your order and then in, in my order, or how do you want to attack this? Because this is six names that are all ranging all kind of over, which is, which is the fun part. Yeah, so I, I'll throw out my list and you tell me where this changes. Okay. Fair? Fair. So 
working from highest ceiling to lowest ceiling and all these guys have relatively high ceilings. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's Ellie De La Cruz and then a wide margin, right? Like everything he's got Jordan Walker level raw power. He's faster than Jordan Lawler. Uh, and, and somehow he's a more like dynamic defensive player than Lawler as well. And he's faster than Chorio. Like every tool jumps out to make this guy the best player in baseball. And the only guys that are close are Otani and O'Neill Cruz. When you look at just like who the hell they are type thing. So Ellie De La Cruz after that, I mean, it's probably Chorio with, with how young he is and how much talent is, is packed in there. And like the production that came, he went from low A to high A. He sucked in double, but he got to double as an 18 year old. So I go Ellie, I go Chorio. I then go Jordan Walker because he can hit 50 homers. Like so, hard to so, doubt 50. So, and, and like, I'll stop you right there for a second. Yeah. So this is where I struggle. Jackson Chorio ceiling. His offensive ceiling is, is not going to sniff Jordan Walker's offensive. ceiling. maybe, you know, it's not sniff is kind of harsh, but at the end of the day, Jackson Chorio, I think his he's you know tapping out at 30 home runs, which is great, right? And and I think he can hit yeah you know, for decent average as he continues to to blossom. But I do think that there's some legitimate questions around the hit tool, um, and the power is obviously not close to Jordan Walker. But Walker is not a potentially Gold Glove caliber center fielder. Right. So that's where it's really hard for me because it's like if Walker's a 40, 45 home run guy, but Chorio is 25 to 30 with phenomenal defense in center field, who's the better player? Who's the higher ceiling? And that's where it's really hard. Cause I, I do think Walker, I could see a path to Walker winning an MVP. I think easier than a path to Chorio winning an MVP. And again, this is so hard. We're projecting years down the lines, especially on Chorio, but like, does that resonate at all? Like that, that's where I struggle on, on comparing these guys ceilings. Cause they're such different profiles. Right. And Churio, like we could be looking at a guy that's, you know, 30, 25, right? 30 homers, 25 bags. Jordan Walker's not doing that. Like he might swipe how many? 15. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a big part of his game. So obviously when you're in the batter's box, Jordan Walker has the higher ceiling. Jordan Walker is the better player than Jackson Churio at this point. I think he will be so moving forward. And the 100th percentile outcome is better for Walker than Chorio moving forward. Yeah, uh, yeah. But everything else, I think, skews the way at Chorio, and that's why I say him. Yeah, that one's so hard for me, um, especially because if Walker blossoms into this above-average defender and right, which I really think he can with his arm and his athleticism, I think, look at how many outfield assists he already had, even though he was so shaky out there. Uh, like right. That could alter things a little bit as well. Like I, I think that... Walker's ceiling is, is some semblance of, of Aaron Judge or a guy that you can almost throw into center field if his reads and routes get good, you know, and he's off definitely got a long ways there, but athleticism and tools wise and work ethic and and he could get by there. And at that point, we're talking about, you know, arguably the best player in baseball if he taps into that ceiling. So I'm going to go with Walker at two, but I don't think you can go wrong. Like we just spent five minutes going back and forth on that. Right. What's the how are you rounding out in the next three in terms of ceilings then? So to re- recap, it's Ellie De La yeah. Cruz for you, Jackson yeah. Chorio, then Jordan Walker. You might as well put that two A, two B, but you know, I think yeah. that's interchangeable. And then of the remaining, we have Lawler, Beatty, Vargas. I go in that order. I go Lawler, <laughs> Beatty. Vargas. I realize it as I said it. I'm like, ah, I just gave it away. Lawler, Beatty, Vargas is what you're thinking. Yeah, because Lawler speed and defense is is something that Beatty has a teensy bit of Vargas has a teensy bit of, but Lawler, like he is lead baseball in stolen bases type fast. And he's gold glove shortstop type. Good. Yeah. Um, he, he impacts the ball a little bit less than Beatty. Um, I think Miguel Vargas, if we were to go highest floor, like Vargas, I think far and away has the highest floor here. Yep. Um, and we can do that after the fact, but I think his floor and ceiling are very close where I think he is a super utility guy and that's what he is. Um, Lawler is perennial all-star shortstop at his best. A hundred percent. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised at Lawler's exit velos, especially like this is where it's really nice to have, you know, access to, to some more information here because you see Lawler hit, you know, eight, 18 home runs and you're like, oh, wow, you know, power outputs right on par with Marcelo Meyer. But you got to remember where he's playing and the environments right. that he's playing and how much the ball, you know, just takes off there. That, that said, 
you still got to drive it in the air. And he is a great gap to gap line drive guy that's producing what I would say right now is right on par with average exit velocities. But that was as a 19 slash 20 year old. So if he taps into a little bit more power, he's going to still be a guy that I think can hit 20 home runs that on top of elite speed, the defense that you mentioned and, and just how dynamic he is, you know, Lawler is, is a really exciting player. Um, and, and I think just brings a little bit more to the table. Like you said, Beatty hits the ball so damn hard. Um, and, and I think just as a little bit more of an impactful bat than Vargas. And I think that Beatty is close enough in terms of bat to ball. Vargas is the best of this whole bunch in that regard, but yeah. Beatty is not as far off as a lot of people might think in that regard. And he got better and better as the year went on, had success in double a, I think really even in a brief cameo showed the poise and the, in, in the comfort at the big league level, uh, even though the numbers it kind of similar to Cassas, so like weren't off the charts, but you could really see that, that he looked like he belonged as a prospect. And it's very cut and dry with that, right? Like when Alvarez, Francisco Alvarez was up there, you could tell that he, he wasn't quite, quite ready. He wasn't ready. Um, yeah. and, and that's not a knock on him. So, I would say Beatty's floor is up there too, but in terms of staying on the ceilings, Beatty hits the ball so damn hard. I think he can be a 30, 35 home run guy, especially now with his ability to lift the ball. Um, he, he's uh, improved so much defensively at third. I think he can get by in a corner outfit. So it gives you a little bit of the versatility. Um, Vargas, obviously the most versatile here as well. So I would, I would go my list very similar to you here. I would just flip flop uh, Walker and Chorio. So I'd go Ellie de la Cruz. Then I would go Walker then I would go Chorio. Then it's Lawler, Beatty, Vargas for me. Um, yeah. And and the good news for you know Dodger fans and Vargas fans is we go back around the other way in terms of highest floor. Vargas is leading the way, right? I mean, this guy, and it's not close. It's I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's particularly close. You could maybe make the case that Brett Beatty's floor is is high if you really are buying what Brett Beatty was selling last year, which was a much lower ground ball rate, higher exit velocities, just better all around baseball player. But Miguel Vargas, like this guy, is just hit at every single stop. And yeah, you could say, oh, he kind of struggled in the big leagues last year, but I don't really care. He he saw sporadic playing time he was trying to to carve out a role on the best team in baseball like this guy was trying to prove that he belonged on an 111 win team seeing sporadic playing time in 18 games i don't really care about that this guy has has barely struck out his entire professional career 14.6 percent k rate in triple a last year the year before that he struck out around 16 percent of the time between high a and double a he upped his walk rate to the highest of his career at 14 percent and hit the most home runs at one level and i think if you combined high a and double a that was the highest home run output in 2021 but he had 17 home runs in triple a last year as well his swing is so smooth his approach is so good he can play all over the infield. There's few guys that are quote unquote still prospects that I feel more confident about to just be at least like a, a an everyday big leaguer. And I think Miguel Vargas is exactly that. It's like, I think a lot of people got their first taste of Miguel Vargas at spring training last year when he hit a bomb to left and it looked a lot like Alex Rodriguez's yeah, yeah. a lot like a rod swing. So, I mean, really smooth. Um, we're not saying he's a rod. Um, honestly, I, I think in terms of just the numbers that he could be putting up, he feels like Carlos Santana with defensive versatility as the floor, right? And, Walk and, nearly as much as you strike out, impact the ball enough, and he can play a solid you know, defense at, at third, at second, at first, hell, it's short if you need him in left and right. And, and I think he can develop into more power. Like he's 6'3, 195. And he's got some room still to fill out a little bit more. I don't know if the Dodgers want him to. They might want him to still be kind of that that average to above average runner. Uh, but yeah. when when your zone contacts around 83, 84%, when your exit velocities are in 90th percentile exit velocity, just a hair under 103 miles an hour, which is, you know, a, a, a notch above average. And then you've got the approach. He doesn't chase chase rate below 20%. Like it's just so easy. I, I'm, that's a guy that's again, one of the highest floors offensively in baseball in the minor leagues. So that's sure. a no brainer for me. Next highest floor is where it gets interesting. I, I would say, you know, you can make the case for, 
for Brett Beatty. You can make the case for Jordan Walker, given that he is hit at every single freaking stop uh, and, and has just the power that even if the hit tool is closer to average than above average, he's still going to hit enough home runs to be a productive player. And he's not a clog which is interesting. So this is where it's a little bit harder. Beatty, upper minor success as well, um, you know, and then the cameo in the big leagues. And then we talked about Jordan Lawler, but I think with limited uh, success at the upper levels compared to some of the other guys, I'd have to, you know, dig Jordan Lawler's numbers back up. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he's played nearly as much in, in double A as some no. of these other guys. So and he's a mid to high 20s K rate guy. He strikes yeah. out more than Beatty does. He strikes out more than Walker. Chase rates are so- higher. Yeah, he only yeah. played 20 games in double A and struggled there. So, you know, I, I would say who who would you put for second highest for? I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go one through six right now, and you tell me where you disagree. Okay. I go Vargas, Beatty, because I think he already plays a good defensive third and, and he's he, more comfortable he in left. The ball too hard, man. Like I think he's yeah. in terms of 90th percentile exit velocity, I think he would be closer to Jordan Walker than people think in third on this list. So he, he just consistently hits the ball hard. That's going to help his floor. Right. So I go Vargas, Beatty, Walker, Lawler, Ellie, Chorio. I, I'm pretty sure I will completely agree with that list. Um, yeah, the only reason Chorio's the, the, the lowest and like we've said, gold glove caliber center fielder, he's freaking 18 years old, man. Like, yeah. We don't know shit about him. We just saw Ellie De La Cruz have success in double A, not just success, massive success with zero approach, Um, a right-handed swing that's lagging behind his left-handed swing Uh, and and swing and miss issues. And he still showed us that he can be not only productive, one of the most productive hitters in in the minor league. So, you know, I think that that almost helps the floor, even though he just like plays a little haphazardly. Obviously, better player pitchers, better pitchers can expose that a bit more, but that would get exposed in double A if it was like a, a really, really bad, bad issue. So, you know, I think for him, he's just going to find a way. Like I said, he, he could be a 20, 30 hit tool guy and he, the other tools, the game power already, everything that he does on the field will already allow him to be a productive baseball player. So I, I agree with that. I think I think that's basically my exact order. It would be Vargas, Beatty, Walker. Lawler, then Dilla Cruz and Chorio. That's that's yep. how I'd go with it. So identical. Fun question there. Thank you for that, Sumi. Um, and we will move to uh, probably some shorter questions, but I wanted to get the longer one out of the way. We'll stick on the ceiling floor kind of conversation. Uh, this is more of just a ceiling question. I thought this was a great one from Caleb with a K team dash TB on Twitter. Who has the higher ceiling as a hitter? Curtis Mead. Or Kyle Manzardo. And I honestly think there's a clear answer to this, but I don't know if the whole prospect community necessarily knows that. Like I I think Curtis Mean is because if you look at the fan graphs numbers, you can make the case, oh well, you know, Manzardo hits for a ton of average. The power's there, 22 home runs last year and you know, 93 games. Uh he walks as much as he strikes out. All of those things are great news. Uh, and I think he he has a, a really high. I think Manzardo is, one, again, one of the safest offensive profiles in the minor leagues uh, right there with Miguel Vargas. Arguably, I think probably safer. The thing is, Curtis Mead, I don't think people realize how much power Curtis Mead has. And that's the one thing I want to emphasize here. And Mead also hit for average, got on base, like does a lot of good things. And while Mead may not be the... Uh, the best defender in the world, he can get by at third. He can play first. He can play, you know, multiple spots. But what's interesting is Mead actually hit less home runs last year. He played less games, played 76 games, a little banged up. He hit 13 home runs, whereas we, we had some more home runs from, from Manzardo. But Mead's ceiling is 30-plus home runs, hitting for average and not striking out. I think Manzardo is more 20 to 25, hitting for average and not striking out. Where, where What do you think about that? So I, I just referenced that you had him two and three in the Razorg on, on your write-up at just baseball.com. Uh, 90th percentile exit below, which I know is Thank a number you. that you love. It shows you what they do consistently. Um, 90th percentile exit below for Curtis Mead of 107 miles an hour. Yep. That's shitting on the baseball. <laughs> that's that's crazy stuff. Like it, Manzardo, while he did have 22 pumps this year, 
he's not 107 90th percentile exit below. And that, that means like think 90th percentile exit below. Obviously, max exit velo is going to be you have an out-of-body experience and you hit a ball this hard. That's where you see the 119s, the 120s come from. It it takes into account all the bad swings you put on balls and all the 65-mile-an-hour dinks and dunks that, that you've put into play. Yeah. How hard are you hitting the ball consistently? Like, what does you getting all of a ball look like once a night once every two nights and for mead it's 107 miles an hour yeah yeah and and that's gonna translate better you look at hard hit rate um manzardo was in the low 50s mead was at 60 percent and 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 like that's just it's just unheard of like that's just ridiculous uh when i look at a manzardo though and his zone contacts like upper 80 percent he doesn't chase neither does mead uh swinging strike rate very low but yeah, I mean, 90th percentile exit velocity is is really, I love looking at it because Noel V. Marte is like the best case study of this, right? This guy rare, like has the raw power to put up 114 mile per hour exit velocities, which is like yes. some of the best in the minor leagues. But he also very infrequently gets off those kinds of exit velocities because he gets out of his A swing. He takes a lot of half-hearted uh, fooled swings, you know, ass out one hand, whatever, or rolls over. So like, what good is your power if you're not frequently getting into it? And that's why I love 90% exit velocity. It still also shows what you're capable of as well. And factors in those max exit velocities, but how often are you getting to that max? Menzardo, like that power is going to tick down. That game power is going to tick down, I think, in the big leagues and, and he'll be a 20 home run guy. But he's going to get on base a ton. He's going to hit for average. and He's going to be really good. Uh, but Meade's got the kind of foul pull to foul pull power that, again, I think he could be 30 plus. And I think people also don't realize this guy's also 22 years old. Manzardo's 22. They're both like three months apart. But Meade has just been doing this now for consecutive years. Uh, and I think is is still scraping the surface of the kind of power he can tap into. So I'm looking for Meade to, to have things click and hit 30 like, I really think you can hit 30 at the highest level. Uh, and that's why I have him at the highest ceiling. I'm glad you brought up the 90th percentile because that's where they're about four miles per hour apart, maybe a little bit yeah. more than that. So it's that's serious, a man. lot. That's a lot. That doesn't mean that that Manzardo couldn't end up getting into his game power more frequently because he lifts the ball and taps into it easier in games and just has a better approach like that could happen. Um, but. I, when we're talking about ceilings, I'm going to go a little bit more data heavy, generally speaking, because you kind of have to uh, when they both have success at the upper levels of the minor leagues and both have hit home runs. Um, you know, if you go straight numbers, anybody can answer that question, you know. So quick exercise. I don't know if it's easily accessible for you, but could you do like a major league leaderboard this past year of 90th percentile exit belows? I wish I could do okay. um, I could do like just the Tampa Bay Rays for reference. And if you look yeah. at the t- the Tampa Bay Rays organization. Um, and I do need to do like a full big league queue. Like I, I need to queue up all of the, the, the 90th percentile exit velocities for the big leagues. I think it's still very telling on the big league side of things too. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, like the, the way that I'm looking at it right now is I've got max exit velocity on Savant right now. And I'm looking at the guys in the top 20 and max exit velo, like the guys that have put up a batted ball of 115 miles an hour with an average exit velo under 90 miles an hour. And that's where you see the separators like up top Stanton, Otani, Judge, Vladdy, Jordan, Julio, like it all makes sense, right? The guys that are in the top 12 or in the top 20 of max exit below with an average exit velocity under 90 miles an hour, Luis Robert, Avisayo Garcia, (laughs) Pete Alonso, which is crazy. I don't know how that guy has a max exit below under 90. Um, or an or average, average exit velocity, average yeah. exit velocity. CJ Crone, um, and then I think there was another William Contreras. No, not William Contreras. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, like those are the outliers in that leaderboard. So I'm curious who the guys at the top are because if you do cue that, it probably looks like Judge Stanton, oh, Jordan, and that's that. Without a doubt in my mind. And then like, there's a lot of guys 90th percentile that like, if they strike out too much, like obviously they're, they're going to sneak through here. But if you're looking at the, at the Rays org, um, guess, guess which big leaguer had the highest 90th percentile. It's not a big power guy. Can you take a guess? I don't know. Yandy Diaz. I would have never guessed Yandy Diaz. 108 because he consistently hits the ball hard. 
just consistently hit the ball hard. And I think Curtis Mead could be very similar to Yandy Diaz with, with, I think more game power Um, for reference. though, the only guys in the organization with a higher 90th percentile exit velocity than Curtis mean were, and this is including the big leagues, Yandy Diaz and Nico Holsizer and also Christian Bettencourt. But that was a a smaller sample size. And uh, obviously a guy that, that doesn't walk at all. And and when he makes contact, he hits it really hard, but you know, that's about it. So those are the only three guys that, that are above. Um, Curtis Mead, and, and that's interesting, part, which is pr- pretty wild. Cool. So we'll move on to the next question, which I, it kind of ties back to the Reds conversation we had recently. So I think this could be a, an easier one to answer. Still kind of fresh in our minds. This comes from Bryce Spalding. Of course, you know, for those who are Reds fans that somehow know about us and not, you know, the Reds community, because there's a lot of people that cover, I think, the Reds minor leagues pretty well. But I think there's a few that do it really well. Bryce Spalding is one of them. If you somehow know about us and not him and know about the Reds or like to to learn about the Reds, uh, definitely go check out Bryce Spalding and and the stuff that he does on Twitter to keep you briefed on the Red system for those Reds fans that may be listening. Uh, But you probably already know about him if you're a Reds fan. His question was. If you had the guess of which Reds prospects move positions besides Marte, because obviously I think the writing's on the wall there, uh, who do you think could transition best to corner outfield or even center field? And, and you know, we'll take this from the pool of of you know top ten prospects that we that we discussed in the Reds system. Yes. So that would be like a Ellie Dela Cruz. That would be a Matt McClain. That would be we we're, we're excluding Noel V. Marte. Who who else would that include off the top of my head of like guys that could potentially move Edwin Arroyo, I guess, technically, but I wouldn't move. Like, do you consider, do you consider steer as a guy that could like that moves? His his job is to move. Yeah. I wouldn't say steer. Um, Clear, clear cut answer for me. Yeah, I agree. I, even if we're like missing a couple of guys, there's still one number one answer for me of the guy that can move. And, and I think accommodate the move the best. What's your answer? And I have a good feeling it's going to be the same one for me. I think McLean is the center fielder for the Reds. Correct. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Um, little bit of an experience doing that in uh, at UCLA, and yep. then on the Cape, it was funny, man. Like he was he was a pain in the ass for like my scorebook uh, because he, he wouldn't he would just move everywhere. I'm sure everywhere. And honestly, like he doesn't look supernatural anywhere. But also looks comfortable everywhere. Like if that makes sense. Like yeah. he he doesn't have like the true shortstop actions, but gets to every ball and makes a strong throw. And and I think grades out as an everyday, you know, at least an average defender at shortstop. I think he's slightly above with the tools that he has at third base. Like it, it's not the traditional like arm angle and the things that you you know like the the kind of throw on the run that that you see from third baseman. But like he still makes all the plays that you need to see him make in the outfield. I, like. I don't know what it is. You didn't look like your classic outfielder, but you see the plus speed, you see the instincts and he runs down baseballs and then he's got a good arm. Um, I think this guy could be a good center fielder. I think he could be a great left fielder. If you wanted to put him there, I think it's kind of a waste of his speed out there. Um, I think you, you either keep him as short or you put him in center. Uh, I, that's, that's what I would do. I think it's a waste of his athleticism and his, and his talent. Um, you know, again, if, if, if you're in a pinch and you've got studs at, you know, Elie Cruz is at his 90th percentile outcome and he, that guy's playing short, sure. And then steer is holding down third. Cause I also don't love McLean at third. Again, I want to use that athleticism. Maybe you can put him at second and he's a elite defender there, but I would love to see Matt McLean in center field. I think it's the greatest utilization of his speed. I think he will roam well in Cincinnati with the, with the smaller outfield out there, even though I already think he could cover a cavernous outfield with his speed and as his reads get better. But this is a guy that I want to see, get some more reps out there. Cause I want to, I want to break down the tape. Like I want to see this guy, in center field. Cause I think he could be great out there. Yeah, I, I think so too. And he is, he's so gifted. Like, Oh, you think high floor college bat, you know, you probably lack some tools. He's just a really good athlete, man. Like you get those guys. He is probably a smoother athlete than Garrett Mitchell and Garrett Mitchell classic UCLA center field, a really smooth athlete. Uh, I, I think that McLean it's almost seamless the way that he can move to center. And honestly, I, I feel better about McLean in center because you can let Ellie's arm eat at short if it works out. If not, Edwin Arroyo is a guy that can continue to develop at shortstop. 
Yeah. And, and that's not a guy I want to move. You know, I, I got yeah. some questions about that. Like I think, and, and he's a little bit raw, um, but defensive tools wise, Arroyo, man, that was a fun, that was a fun tape breakdown. Um, yeah. Just seeing the way that he, he moves, seeing the arm, he's a little guy, but the arm really plays. His like internal clock and his instincts get a little bit better, but the hands are silky smooth. That's a guy that just looks like a natural shortstop, right? He whips it from down here on the run back uh, a backhand. You're like, why is he taking so long? Like he's not the, the guy's going to beat it out. And then he uncorks a 95 mile an hour ball that gets a guy by a half step. And you're like, oh, okay, he's got that confidence. There was a couple times where he took a little too long, and and his internal right. clock wasn't totally right, and the guy was safe, or like a flip to second base, and the guy slid in there in time. Like those are all things right. that I'm not worried about with a 19 year old. The things that he he you know you can't really teach that well. He's got he's got those. So I would not move a guy. And also he doesn't have the offensive upside of some of these other guys. I don't think you know maybe it's almost where McLean is, but I think McLean's got more juice, and I think McLean's a little bit more uh, of a, of a dynamic hitter. Um, but that for that reason too, like you're going to get a lot of Arroyo's value from the glove. I'd rather keep that guy as like kind of that alternate middle infielder. He's also way behind these other guys we're talking about. The other one that I still see questions on is like Jose Barrero. And I just want to say one thing about Jose Barrero. He, he could turn into an all right baseball player. He could turn into a good baseball player. Uh, you know, I think if you run a hundred simulations, most of them have him getting DFA would eventually. Um, and I just, that's honestly just what, what I think. Um, I'm not worried about his defensive home until he can hit like that. I think you're, you're wasting your your bandwidth in your you know in your brain right now trying to find a defensive home for a guy that might not hit enough to have a defensive home if that makes yeah. sense like am I being too harsh like I I just I see a lot of questions on Barrero and I'm like let's cross that bridge when when he hits otherwise what are we really talking about you know and and I get Reds fans yeah. kind of just assuming he's gonna hit hoping he's gonna hit and trying to like you know think about something else but at the same time like if he's not hitting. We don't need to find a defensive home for him. The whole point is you hit, they find a spot for you. McLean hits. If Elito Cruz has a shortstop walk down, they're going to find a spot for him somewhere else. Spencer Steer is a perfect example of that. If he hits, right. he's not going to be your everyday third baseman. Probably he's not going to be your everyday anything. They're going to move him around and keep him in the damn lineup because he keeps hitting. Um, Barrero, they're not going to say, oh, well, we found a place where he is phenomenal defensively. So let's ignore the 180 batting average. Like, I, I, I think we got to cross that bridge when we get there. What's your thoughts on Barrero? Did you see him at all in triple? I did. Yeah. And it was a frustrating watch. And might I say, if Jose Barrero was in any other organization, we would not be talking about Barrero as much as we do now, because uh, and, and that's a testament to Reds fans. And I love, I love way. Reds fans, man. If we've got like three fan bases on lock right now when it comes to prospects, and like I love interacting with these three fan bases, it's Cincinnati, the Cubs, and the Marlins. Yeah, like yeah. those are the three that I I have somehow become engulfed in Reds Twitter, in Cubs Twitter, <laughs> and in Marlins Twitter, and I'm so happy about it. Like I love it, and all my follows are you know Pirates, White Sox, you know Padres. Like these are the organizations that I've been around Nationals. Um, but thank you, Reds fans, for adopting us yeah. and, and coming to us, asking us questions about oh, Jose Barrero. I remember last year. The one mailbag that I was on with you, I think it was a prospect mailbag on the Just Baseball show. We answered a Dowry Moretta question. <laughs> like, what? Dude, but uh, Reds, Reds fans and Cubs fans are two of the fan bases that have asked me about a prospect I've never heard of. And yeah. like, you know, I, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I would say like I spend a lot of time on this. It's hard it, to it's, sneak it's, a prospect it, by. It, it's it, it's it's hard to ask me about a guy I don't at least know his name and, and, and one thing I can say about him, like yeah. the, both fan bases have stumped me a couple times on a live stream where I'm like, brother, I, the last thing I'm going to do is, is bullshit. Is talk out like, my ass. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will refuse to talk out of my ass. I'd rather tell you, I don't know who that is. Um, but the last thing I'll say is I do think reds and cubs specifically some of the most knowledgeable fans, you know, there is, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on, on the podcast, uh, but a big reason why I'm so into prospects is I grew up a Marlins fan and, they traded all of my favorite players. Right. And like, <laughs> I was trying to cope with Miguel Cabrera getting dealt. And like, I studied who the hell these two prospects were that, you know, the two centerpieces were that came in the deal. You know, who is Andrew Miller? Who is Cameron Maben? You know, and, and then when they didn't quite work out, 
why didn't they work out? You know, so that's kind of what got me more into the prospect side of things. And then also you saw, you know, Michael and Anibal Sanchez or Michael traded for Anibal Sanchez and Hanley Ramirez coming over and seeing those guys succeed as prospects. And like, okay, well, why did these guys succeed? Uh, It just became a whole thing that, that just kind of opened up this can of worms for me. And I fell in love with the prospect world. And guess what? The Marlins ran that cycle four more times in my fandom until I basically just got numb to it. Uh, and, and it allowed me to really turn into a prospect guy. So uh, I can understand why some of these other you know, Reds fans, Cubs fans, I know they won in 16, but uh, some of these other fan bases latch onto the prospect side of things because it's the only thing that can keep you sane as a fan. Uh, no, and it makes but, it makes bad baseball at the major league level palatable because yes. you you yeah, something to look forward to. Right. You allot your energy to what's coming. And the beauty of having four teams under the one team uh, is you can take the positives from all four and put together a day's worth of happiness on the prospect front. My quick thing on Barrero, it's the Christian Pache conversation. Obviously, he's got promise. Like, obviously, we know what he can do because he's still getting opportunities. Pache is not going to get DFA. Barrero Eventually he will. Pache, I think eventually he will. But as of right now, they're not because we know what they can do. Pache is a platinum glove level defender in center field. Barrero, if he runs into balls consistently, can hit eight homers in 10 games. But Barrero has gotten up and he's hit a buck 70 in three auditions. So we can't bank on Barrero anymore. Ellie De La Cruz is better than Barrero. Steer is better than Barrero. Hell, Edwin Arroyo in a year or two is going to be a better option than Barrero. So that's the problem with prospects. When they don't work out, you got to jump ship quick because there's always somebody coming and the talent, the baseline talent level in baseball, major league level, minor league level, it's never been higher. Yep. So if your favorite prospect from 2019 is stinking it up in 2022, guess what? They might have lost their job. Yep. No, a hundred percent. And the last thing I'll, I'll kind of say on this um, is because this was another question that it was unrelated to, to the red specifically, but it ties in. So we can like kind of do a two for one here. Uh, basically, it was like, what, what do teams do uh, when you have a prospect that is big league ready and his position is kind of, kind of accounted for, right? Like, do you, do you move off of that player or like the, the, do you get rid of the guy at the big league level? Like, what do you do? Do you shuffle things around? Whatever. It, it ties into this reds question because I'm a firm believer of you cross that bridge when you get there, man. Like there's a reason why McLean was still getting a ton of shortstop reps while Ellie de la Cruz somehow still got a ton of shortstop reps. Uh, like they, you can't assume that anyone is going to succeed. Even Ellie Dola Cruz, even the, the the number one or number two prospect in baseball. Look at what the Orioles, you know, have been doing. Like even with with a Gunnar Henderson, like that's a guy that's going to play a lot of third. You can't bank on. You can't make major league decisions on the assumption of a prospect displacing a big leaguer. Because to your point, even the average big leaguers. Most of those guys were elite prospects, man. Um, you know, some of them were Ty Francis that that overachieved and, and whatever. But a lot of these guys were top prospects. And I'm spending a lot of time in the back half of the top 100 trying to figure out who's going to be a re- an average regular, slightly above average regular, and you know, in the most likely outcomes. So, you know, that's the one thing I always want to say, too, is. We, we often get excited. We get ahead of ourselves and we got to remember the odds are stacked against all of these guys. And you should never make, if you make a big league decision based on what's happening in the minor leagues, you're going to set yourself up for some failure. I mean, look at the Marlins rotation. I think the smartest thing they could do is not account for Yuri Perez coming up and, and anchoring a spot, even though I think he will. And I think the Marlins yeah. think he will. You can't set yourself up for that because you never know what's going to happen. That's why Quito on a one-year deal was so yeah. good. That's why I love it. I love it. And oh, if, if he's shoving and you, you figure it out, you figure it out. I yeah. don't know. You, you cross that bridge when you get there. By the way, um, like circling all the way back to McLean, you said he was a nuisance for your scorebook. Um, something that we can like do over the years. And I'm only, you know, four or five years in, but I keep all my scorebooks. I use Bob Carpenter's baseball. Yep, I, have scorebook, my thick, I got my thick scorebook from the cave. Yeah, I literally just ordered another after you said that. I was like, oh, damn, I need my scorebook for this year. So I, I just ordered my scorebook from Bob Carpenter. It is the best scorebook ever. Um, but it, it, a fun thing that we could do is like 
just go back to 2018 on the Cape 2019 short season. It's like, Hey, what did Riley green do today? So I'll Dude, bust out the old books. And I'm, look at those. I'm, I'm in on that. It'd be a fun way to start opening up some of these, some of these podcasts. It's just like a random dog day, summer day. Holy crap. I saw eight big leaguers play against each other in 2020. And, and I probably have like, I probably have a Snapchat memory in Auburn, New York of me, like wearing a hoodie and the headset is over the hoodie <laughs> and I'm wearing sunglasses while it's raining. So I can, yep. I can cross the days. There we go. No, I, I, and the Cape too. I'm excited. Like I've got some games of torque against, you know, gosh, I can't even imagine some of the other guys that I saw out there that yeah. um, would have been really cool. To, I, to I've got back. a quality start from Manoa in my book from 2018. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah. See, that's absolutely sick. Yeah. Um, all right. We got this question was hard. And I think there's a, a myriad of answers to this. Um, but, you know, I think you had some time to think about it, too, because it's hard if you're put on the spot, honestly. Uh, but I think this is a great question. This is from Ant Fuz. It's A-N-T-F-U-U-U-Z. I and said question, Fuzz when he asked a question on the Just Baseball show. Yeah, but I think it's Fuz because it's more U's than Z. More yeah. U than Z. Reply what, to us, Ant Fuzz. Fuzz. <laughs> what prospect are you most confident in being a top 50 prospect by end of season that isn't on any major top 100 list at the moment? So, you know, I'm going to say isn't on most lists. I can't account for every list. Like you've got, you know, Keith Law's list, which is going to be very unique in a lot of ways of having names that some others don't have. And then you're going to have like baseball prospectus, which is also always very unique and having maybe some one name that nobody else has to. So I'm going to base it on basically the one that I've seen on lists. You know, maybe one of these guys may have appeared on one list. So I'm sorry. Um, But this is hard because I like to think that I account for those guys in the back half of the top 100. If I think you can be a top 50 prospect by midseason, you're probably going to be on yeah. the back half of my top 100 list. So it would have to mean that you have extreme risk and uh, and you hedge that risk or you overcome that risk with with a first half performance that makes us say, OK, he's he's here. And there's two guys that I think can do that off the top of my head. Um, and I'm sure there's a million more. Um, and one is because I'm literally doing the Yankee system right now. And then another is because I fell in love with him and even in limited video. And I can't quite rank him in the top 100 just yet. He might crack it. I think both of these guys might crack it, uh, but they might be only on our list and nobody else's or maybe on one other list. High school arms that throw fuel because he's mid to upper 90s. Brock Porter, you don't see high school guys that are 6'4". You use, always use the term bully ball, Jack. He's yeah. 6'4", 210, with uh, just an electric fastball and a pretty unique arm angle uh, that you know, I think was gave him some detractors because people were like, oh, I don't know if he can time that arm up or whatever, but he throws strikes. And every time I've seen, you know, small outings, but every time I've watched, he's thrown strikes. It's a mid to upper 90s fastball and a, a plus changeup already or a changeup that easily flashes plus. How often do you see that? from high school power pitchers. So if the changeup's already flashing plus the fastball is is mid 90s with life, you're telling me that this power pitcher can't develop this and for those just listening, I did the curveball or slider gesture. Like you're telling me he can't develop some spin in this rap soto generation. Like they with his arm speed, with his talent, this guy will learn how to throw at least an above average breaking ball. So with with a nasty changeup, a fastball that can overpower you, and even an average curveball, he's going to eat low low A hitters alive. And I think if he does that right out of the gate and then goes to high A and eats those guys alive too, which I think he can with the changeup, he can just jump right into to top 50 prospect conversation. He was just one of the best prep arms in the draft last year. Um, that's my first answer. And what do you think about that? I like it. I, I like it. I like that you chose a high school righty because I've got two college arms that like went this past year that jump out to me that are not getting, you know, top 100 prospect intrigue that I think are going to get their first taste of minor league baseball at the lower levels and just dominate. Um, but I'll save that if you've got another guy that you feel like is at the lower levels and just roll. OK, this is one that I I don't know if you saw me ask this question in the group chat. I asked it specifically to our guy, Pete Flaherty, who is, you know, with Baseball America now as a draft guy and has been doing draft stuff forever and saw this guy on the Cape and said, I don't know why I didn't like him more either. Spencer Jones, dude, I, it might not happen. He's six, seven. There's not a lot of precedent for like the big athletic hitters, but we saw James Wood. He's a lot closer to James Wood than I think a lot of people want to believe. 
I think that we saw him drafted later because there wasn't as much of the track record of hitting. He was a two-way guy when he first got to Vandy. His swing when I watched him in the College World Series was way behind what it what it is now. This guy put up 110 plus mile per hour exit velocities with metal at Vanderbilt and really improved the swing. His swing as a big dude starts with his hands really far back, loads into his backside. It's it's Otani-esque the way he moves. And you got to be a freak to move that way. But remember, Spencer Jones was a two-way player. He's playing center field and he can run. Like he can run. So he's a freak athlete too. I'm not saying he's Otani, but he's a freak athlete. He's already hitting the ball really hard. He showed well in a small stint in low A. The video that I was able to get access to looked open side, looked at the way his body moves. It is phenomenal the way he controls his six foot seven body. Powers off the charts. He can play center field. He's got speed. I could see this guy getting off to a hot start with the Yankee pump too. The way Yankees prospects always, they're never going to be underrated when they perform. You're right. No. I, I wouldn't blink if Spencer Jones is a top 50 prospect by midseason. And, and it wouldn't just be because of the Yankees pump. It's a center fielder who's six, seven with juice. He could be the next James Wood, who, by the way, remember, was a second round pick that a lot of people were like, eh, we'll see. And we saw and it was just lower levels. And we saw I think we could see the same thing from Spencer Jones. Yeah, I, I think on draft night, a lot of Yankee Twitter it blew up because it was like, hey, this guy looks like Judge. <laughs> like he's, a, yeah. he's a big, strong man that hits ball far. It's like, OK, well, you can never assume that a guy is going to be 40 percent of Aaron Judge because Aaron Judge has already put together a somewhat decent Hall of Fame case, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. But like. That's kind of what you dream on with Spencer Jones, where it's a very simple swing and he's got loads of power and he's carved like a Grecian god. So, yeah, I mean, that is like the Spencer Jones mold. I I do really like that. So those are my two. You know, I think I think Brock Porter, that's one that I think he might be on the top 100 list. I think Spencer Jones can be on our top 100 list, but I think that's still because of me believing that they're going to be top 50 guys. So I hope that's not a cop out, but that's that's where I stand on that. So one guy I'm buying production in college in the second best conference in America. The other guy I'm buying the Mitch Keller tread bullpen video. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'll start with the guy that I believe in the production is Cooper Jerpy, who who went 22nd to St. Louis. I think in that Cardinals organization, Jerpy is not a big, strong guy. He's 6'3". But what he does from the left side is like, Chris Sale type arm slot, like low three quarters. Everything sweeps. The fastball is good enough. It's like 92 to 94. And it and it comes from such an unorthodox angle like this guy obliterated the Pac-12 last year. 103 innings punched out 161 walk 23. That's 14 Ks per nine. That's two walks per nine. He had a two and a half ERA college ERAs, unless you're lighter or Kumar are typically higher than you see at the lower levels of the minor leagues. I think that this guy could be like two ERA in high A and then get the bump to double in June. It's one of those guys that I love that you went total opposite of like the type of profile I went because there's two ways that you can ascend prospect rankings very quickly. One being the high school guy that, again, eliminates all of the a lot of the concern that we had. And we're like, oh, he's doing it already. Or two, being the college guy where you're like, of the top 100 prospect lists, this guy looks like one of the safest bets we're going to find. He's going to fly right up to the big leagues. It's McLean. It's the McLean yeah. factor. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if Jerpy does that as a left-handed pitcher, absolutely. You got another one? Yeah. Peyton Paulette in the White Sox organization. Ooh, That's okay, the video like that. that I'm buying. Um, oh, you're, you're buying that vid? I'm buying the vid because it's 99 with ride, and then it's this low 80s hammer. Like, it's insane, dude. It's like, it's not 12-6. But it's a true curveball, and he's high 90s. Um, I'll buy that. He's, he's a TJ guy. He missed all the last year, and the White Sox grabbed him early in the 2022 draft, but he wasn't like, you know, top 20 pick. And Paulette, like just seeing that video, I don't know how it surfaced on Twitter, but seeing that video of Paulette, I was like, okay, this guy might be legit. I, I'm in. I'm in. I'm I'm excited to see more from him. Honestly, like looks have been limited, but I think the stuff is crazy. I thought I loved that pick um, and it should be pretty fun. I mean, that would be that would be a I would be more shocked with Paulette than Jerpy. I'll tell you that. But if we're buying the tread video, if he comes out and shoves, I'm buying the tread video. 
All right. I'm in. Just like I'm buying the painter Cressy videos right now. Oh, I'll buy painter. It doesn't even matter. I'll buy whatever painter is selling. And, so and you're you're fully buying the painter Cressy videos. I'm I'm buying painter anything. It could be any, okay. it could be you making a video of him playing catch with his with his mom. I'm buying it. So it's different. Yeah. But also, that would be really dangerous for him to play catch with anybody other than an experienced catcher with how much life Correct. he has on his fastball. Correct. But all right, last question, then we'll we'll, we'll call it a weekend here. Uh this is a good one, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because we could probably spend 30 minutes on this one alone. Um, but we'll try to just kind of fly through this. This comes from Katie Kleber. Do you see a lot of top 100 guys making their club out of spring training like last year with J-Rod, Witt, Torque, et cetera? Was there was about seven or eight? I think that that made it. I think is what the question was. But like, do we see more people uh, doing that this year, or do we see a similar number this year potentially doing that? So, um, d- does that exclude? I guess I'll ask you as if you asked the question, Jack, and, and your interpretation of this. Does that exclude guys that already debuted? I would say yes, right? Because that's I uh, think so. That's kind of because a no-brainer, right? Because obviously they're probably going to make it out of camp, Ben. Right. Um, I would say, you know, and, and fill in for me, I'm just going to kind of fly through our top, our previous top 100 list. This is not the updated, but I'll fly through our previous top 100 list and I'll kind of say yes, no, maybe. And for the maybes, you can kind of push one way or another. Grayson Rodriguez, I say yes. Yes. It would be malpractice if he's not like that. That's easily your best starter from the jump. Ellie Dola Cruz, no. No. Jordan Walker, no. Uh, so maybe. Um, I know Xavier Scruggs is buying into that. And he thinks like if if Jordan Walker just lights the world on fire during spring training, he could carve out a role for himself. I think that that lineup is already too crowded. It's too good. It's like, why rush him? Like, let, let him yeah. get better in in the outfield in AAA for yeah. 30 games, 40 games. I, it, you also gain the year of control, which I'm not going to promote service time manipulation, but just from the the perspective of like, this is a very justifiable, he needs to improve. This isn't Chris Bryant. He needs to improve the defense. This is like a justifiable, he needs to improve the defense. It's O'Neill Cruz. He needs to improve. Give him more at bats. Like, it's fine. I'm going to say that's a maybe, but I would say it's 70, 30. No on Jordan Walker. Uh, Moreno's already debuted. So we'll see him. Yuri Perez. No. Um, He's he needs some more innings, needs to build up. And, and I think he kind of limped to the finish line physically a little bit last year. Let's get him in triple A. Yeah, get him in triple A, tighter strike zone, have some success there. Andy Painter is a maybe, but I'm going to say no, because I, there's just no reason to rush, I think. Right. But I also don't I'm not a proponent of wasting bullets on pitchers in the minor leagues. But I think Painter could could use a few more innings and and they kind of filled out the rotation to a degree. I don't know if they desperately need him. Where do you stand on Painter? Uh, I actually stand on maybe with Painter. Um, if he dominates big league camp, why wait? Yeah. You've got I mean, Nola. if he absolutely like shoves it up their ass, <laughs> like the big league right. in the spring training. Yeah. I mean, you can say, all right, Bailey Faults are good. Go to the bullpen. So, um, right. I'll so it's maybe. Nola. I'll say, I'll say 60, 40 now. 70. Okay. I'll say, I'll say 50-50 because it's okay. it's Nola, Wheeler, Walker, Suarez. Like those four have rotation spots on lock. I've got no problem kicking Bailey Falter to the bullpen if Painter's ready to go. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think it's very possible. I think it's slightly, slightly more the, possible than Walker. Slightly more possible than Walker. Right. Think about the narrative too. That's why I lean 50-50. The narrative with the Phillies is we got so close. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go get it. Yeah. And if they put their 19 year old starting pitcher in the rotation on opening day, that's Dave Dombrowski. Like, here's the saying, putting his dick on the table. Yeah. And well, it's funny is like the Marlins did it late in the season with a 19 year old Miguel Cabrera. And I almost right. think it's similar in a way like that, where it's like we're all in right now. Like, let's go win it. Um, and, and let's, tr- let's try to win this thing, you know, with all hands on deck. Alvarez already debuted last year, but I actually think he might not, not even break camp regardless. Um, obviously Volpe, I'm going to say no, no, I'm going to say no. You, you just, there's no reason when you've got Oswald Peraza there. Um, right. we'll fly through a few more Taj Bradley. No, maybe, they're both their rotation so good. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's too crowded, but he already. And I want him to work on the change a little bit. Like again, another guy just like throw some more starts in Triple A. He, he took a minor step back in Triple. Like just just throw some more innings up there. Yeah, Kyle Harrison. No, no, I agree. I think I think I don't know why the Giants are like 
very i get why they're bullish on him i don't get why they're bullish on his timeline he, he still has some command things he needs to work through yeah flying through here oh hoppy already debuted uh bobby miller no i say no but it's kind of a close to maybe where he could just he, he's another guy if he if he shoves in spring training possible but I, the dodgers they don't need him as bad i think once one of the five guys in their rotation inevitably get hurt i don't root for that but like yeah i on. think they're gonna you got kershaw you got Gons- on may 1st you got kershaw you got gonsolin you, you've got noah Syndergaard. like someone's going down man like it, <laughs> that's when we'll see him up stone same boat um yeah. is there anyone else that we're missing brandon fought what do you think I say maybe, but it's probably not going to happen. I say no. It should, but I say no, because even if you move Bumgarner to the bullpen, then you're looking at an opening day five of um, Gallon, Kelly, uh, Jameson, Ryan Nelson, and who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. I know. Yeah, who are you missing? Um, I'm missing Oh, Zach Davies. Zach Davies. Yeah. So, yeah, like I don't think that they need to start Fott's clock and again we're talking about a service time thing, but like Jameson's clock has already started. Ryan Nelson's yeah. has already started. Uh Tommy Henry's has already started. Yeah. So, you've got these guys that you can have up there Fott like stick him in triple when he passes with flying colors, get him up 2 months into the year. Last one for you. <laughs> and I know, I know the answer. Uh, Matt Mervis. No comment. It should be um, a yes. It should be a yes. It should at least be a maybe. Is it a no at this point? I think it's a no. And it's a no for one reason and one reason only. I think service time manipulation, except this is an unjustifiable one. But we've talked about it. Nothing else he really needs to show. I think the fact that he's playing in the World Baseball Classic, like that the Cubs gave him the green light on that, I probably tells you a little bit about whether they, you know, really think he has a chance to make it out of camp or not. Um, I don't think he's going to have a chance, but given that they signed Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer, um, I think they'll realize magically within a month, as I've mentioned, that. Eric Cosmer is not their left-handed hitting first baseman that they want. And all of a sudden, no, good thing we have Matt Mervis, who has a 1,000 OPS through the first month of AAA. Who would have thought? Uh, And they bring him up. So I don't think he breaks camp. Um, One more interesting one, honestly. Sorry. How about Robert Gasser? No. Close, but no. I think Um, close, but no. Though Aaron Ashby, shoulder. What if yeah. some like one more injury goes down, like one more guy goes down during spring training or whatever? Again, never want that to happen. But is he not a maybe? Uh, I don't think on opening day. I think when he succeeds in Nashville, he's ready because as of right now, I mean, Ashby might be like the seven. So it's he's out for, for a month or two. Right. So it's it's Burns, Woodruff, Lauer. Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley. That's the five. They just signed Wade Miley to a deal. In oh, the true. bullpen. The Miley signing does, does change. Yeah. That. In the bullpen with major league starting reps, Adrian Hauser and Bryce Wilson. Yeah. No, so, no, like, no. I don't think they pull the trigger on Gasser right away. Another one, don't need to rush him. Like, command can get a little bit better. Um, Let's see him have a little bit more success out there. Uh, Yeah. But I thought that was an interesting one to, to throw in there, too. Uh, Ruiz expect him to be up there he already he's already debuted though same with spencer steer La, uh, westberg westberg no orioles yeah. no i mean shit like we're gonna put gutter henderson at third and there's no room for Jorge. yeah Jorge Mateo might be on the bench like right they got, <laughs> it's crazy i don't know why they didn't trade jordan westberg maybe they will maybe they will for some pitching at some point but that'll do it for this episode thank you everybody for the awesome questions if if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe on our youtube please leave a rating on the podcast spotify apple uh if you want to leave a review on apple that's always cool too um 
again, really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. The numbers for the call up have been you know, really honestly humbling. Like it's been really cool to see this thing continue to grow. Uh, I think it's the people loving the involvement of, of Jack McMullen. Um, and I think just being a little bit more consistent with the schedule here, but thank you so much for everybody that, you know, may have recently discovered us and has been hanging on and hanging out with us. And you can expect a lot more during the season, uh, to keep you briefed on what's going on, interviews with players and, and much more, uh, Random but fun interview coming up is uh, Nas Nunez of the Marlins. Um, I oh, think a very underrated prospect in that system. Uh, he's going to be, I think that's going to be Monday's episode. So we're going back to back Marlins here. Figured it might as well time together. And I think that might be the next system we do after the Yankees. Um, Nas Nunez is a guy that I think he's going to find his way to the big leagues with his glove and his speed. Um, really excited to just talk ball with him because he's a real throwback style player. I think Marlins fans will be reminded of Luis Castillo and kind of fa- fall in love with that if he can hit enough. So look out for that interview on Monday. Jack, any final thoughts? I don't think so. I, I love yeah. these mailbags. They're fun. Yeah. And like, it's, it's a very concrete way of talking to the people that I know are listening consistently, which exactly. is great. No, we'll try to do these at least every two weeks, maybe in the season every week. Um, You know, I think with the minor leagues, with how much is going on, We'll when there's more stuff there. happening, that's better. Yep. And we're right on the cusp of stuff happening. So we'll be able to, to talk to you about that as it gets closer and do a lot more of these mailbags. Again, thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend and we'll talk prospects with you on Monday. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.